From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at HPS. And today I'm talking to a couple of my colleagues, Oliver Edelman, who's a director here at the firm, and uh, one of our uh, great associates, Kushal Modi. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the semiconductor shortage and the implications on both the U.S. supply chain and technology. We'll probably get a little bit into uh, the politics of what's going on with the uh, USICA bill up on Capitol Hill. But first, this is uh, the podcast debut for both Oliver right. and Kushal. Um, although Kushal is one of our many great associates behind the scenes producing our podcast. So, yep. guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Brian. Thanks for having us. Of course. Um, why don't we start, Oliver, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Just tell us a little bit about your background, what you do here at HPS, and then we'll go over to Kushal. Sure. Uh, I'm a director here at HPS. I joined HPS in September uh, of 2019 by way of UVA uh, College and then and then a year of grad school there. Um, by way of you know further background, I uh, grew up abroad. I grew up in the UAE, which I guess was part of what contributed to my interest in, in kind of politics and world affairs. Sure. Um, and that was a little bit of what interested me in, in you know, a, a policy career. Uh, coming out of grad school, I was interested in business as well and, and the kind of functional aspects of, you know, it might sound silly, but like making slides and, and kind of memos and things like that. And so I wanted to combine that with, uh, with the politics. Uh, and that's what brought me to HPS. Uh, and since I've been here, I've developed a, a kind of super strong interest in tech policy, everything from kind of platform competition issues uh, to now the semiconductor. So excited to, excited to talk about it today. Awesome. Well, we, uh, we've worked on a few teams together, yeah. so uh, I've seen that great work uh, firsthand. But Kushal, you're, you're, I guess, one of the newer guys at the firm, uh, although not the newest. But tell us a little bit about where you come from. Yeah, so I've been here, I guess, about almost a year now. Um, I studied PPE, which is like philosophy, politics, and economics at Penn. And so when I was looking for where I wanted to go after school, I think HPS uh, is one of the few places that really engages across like a lot of different disciplines like that. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was so drawn to coming here. Um, and so I'm lucky that I was able to work on uh, issues like tech and financial services and a little bit of education. So that's what I've been up to. Awesome. Um, well, let me pull back the curtain a little bit about what, what we do here at HPS internally. So about, I think a week ago, week and a half ago, yep. You two um, did a presentation for the entire firm on what is going on in the semiconductor industry over the last few years, how this shortage has, has come about during COVID, but I think you're going to get into even deeper issues beyond COVID. And, you know, we do this internally to, to make sure our staff is up to speed on some of these issues. We work with a lot of clients that are dealing with this issue and, I would say this even if you weren't here. It was a great presentation, and we thought it would make a great podcast. So I, I wanted to get you guys on here to talk about that a little bit. So let's let's kind of start at the beginning. What's what have you been seeing in the industry over the last couple of years, and what did happen during COVID that a lot of us are reading about every day? Yeah. So COVID, you know, definitely had an impact, but a lot of the issues that we're seeing that are you know, COVID related are actually the result of, um, you know, longer term kind of trends that we've been seeing in the industry. And so there, there are kind of two broad 
kind of trends that I think are worth talking about. One is this kind of long-term secular increase in, in demand for chips. Um, and, you know, part of that is associated with 5G and kind of that Internet of Things. So if you think about, you know, the kind of my smart toaster. Yeah, your smart <laughs> toaster, right? Yeah, your like refrigerator that's going to fill itself up again once your milk is is running out. You know, that that kind of thing is going to require a lot more chips. Uh, there was a McKinsey study that showed that, you know, between 2021 and, and 2030, we're going to almost have a, a doubling in demand for chips. And so, yes, you know, the, the 5G IoT kind of world is going to is going to see uh, an increase in demand for chips. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more than that. Electrification, you know, electric cars uh, require almost twice as many as many chips as gas cars do. Gas cars in themselves require a lot more chips, uh, you know, in things like sensors and all these kind of uh, bits and bobs and gadgets that you have in cars these days. Um, so, you know, that's kind of one trend, this massive increase in, in demand. The other kind of trend that that we really wanted to explore in that presentation and that surprised me, at least, as we were kind of doing our research preparing for that, is the kind of exponential increase in the cost of producing, especially those more sophisticated chips. So, you know, a lot of folks might have heard of Moore's Law, which basically holds that, you know, the number of transistors on a chip doubles uh, roughly every two years, every two years, which means the chips become, you know, they become more productive, right. uh, they become mm-hmm. more efficient. Uh, and that's true. And, and that still kind of holds. They may, you know, viewers or listeners might have also heard about uh, the fact that Moore's Law is maybe approaching um, its kind of physical constraints. So we're kind of almost approaching that atomic level. The smallest parts on chips are 10 nanometers wide, which is, you know, thinner than a, a DNA helix, for example. Um, but something that, you know, surprised me was something that's called Moore's Second Law, which is actually that that as kind of chips become way more sophisticated, the cost of producing those chips increases exponentially, exponentially um, as well. And so, um, you know, what that looks like in practice is effectively that the fabs, the factories that produce these, these semiconductors are roughly doubling, uh, doubling in cost every two years as well. So we're getting more sophisticated and they're also getting a lot more expensive. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. You, you talked about the implications of this exponentially increasing cost. Um, we've heard things in the debate about the, the Intel factory in Ohio and, and how expensive that's going to be. In the second half of the show, I think we'll get into a little bit on on the investments the government can make. But yep. talk a little bit more about that cost. What what does that mean for companies and in, in the U.S. economy? For sure. So the the Intel factory is a is a great example, and you know we are going to talk about Useka a little bit because uh, Intel's CEO had had some comments recently about about the importance of Useka and getting that done. But to give a little bit of reference around that cost. So the Intel factory in Ohio is going to cost around $20 billion, which, you know, a lot of billions get thrown around in DC and you, you kind of know all about that, Brian. But um, to put that into perspective, that $20 billion is about two Tesla Austin Gigafactories. It's about, you know, one and three quarter aircraft carriers. So these are enormous kind of costs that we're talking about. Major investments. Major, yeah. major investments, right. Um, and there are kind of two implications that are worth drawing out from that, from that exponential increase in cost. One is that a handful of companies and it decreasing number of companies are finding themselves in a, in a virtuous cycle where they're able to capitalize on kind of delivering that next generation of chips, taking that profit, and then reinvesting it and getting a lead ahead of their competitors on the next one. And as we were thinking about this, there was this kind of concept of a 
uh, crazy merry-go-round uh, where every every round kind of gets faster and and folks get thrown out of it and there are fewer and fewer fewer and fewer players uh, left on the merry-go-round right and this is kind right. of what we're seeing we're in this newest generation of chips I mean Samsung uh, just last week announced that they're capable now uh, of producing chips at what's called the three nanometer process. So Samsung is, is cap- has announced that they're going to be capable of doing this. TSMC is going to catch them. Intel might catch them, but th- those are kind of the only three players left at this point. Um, so yeah, you know, it's becoming more expensive. Fewer players have, are capable of kind of producing at that leading edge. Um, and that's, you know, one of the, one of the things we're looking out uh, for. So talk a little bit about there, there's, there's fewer players that that to me at least implies there's there's some underinvestment going on. Um, we heard a lot about this during COVID, and maybe I'm backing into a question on what's going on with the the supply chain. But talk to me a little bit more about what what COVID did to either exasperate the problem or at least I guess bring it to the front pages. Sure. So there are a lot of different kind of things going on with with COVID. So one is that, and this is something that you all have talked about on the macrocast a lot, is that folks just didn't have the money to spend on uh, things like going on vacation, going to restaurants and things. And so instead, they used that money, they used that stimulus money as well to buy gadgets. We had a colleague, uh, Johnny, who waited a a little while for his PS5, a little (laughs) longer than than he wanted. Um, But we're spending money on on gadgets that they otherwise wouldn't have. So there was an increase in demand. There was around that time uh, an increase in, uh, you know, in the crypto price. And so a lot of the kind of graphics processing units uh, were found to have... uh, to, to perform very well in, in Bitcoin mining. So all of the kind of servers that Kushal has in, yeah. has in his basement for Bitcoin mining, that was <laughs> another thing that... That might be uh, another episode. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so so there were a few different things that pushed the demand up. At the same time, COVID you know, had its implications in terms of the supply. Uh, places like Vietnam went into severe lockdowns. Uh, Vietnam is important in the later stages of, of uh, semiconductor production. Um, and, and, you know, there was a kind of a confluence of factors that meant that basically, uh, demand, especially for some older generation chips was extremely high and the supply, uh, was, was lacking. And that's so, a, that's yeah. a good point there. There's the demand for the older generation chips right. doesn't necessarily go away with innovation as a lot of products still run on some of that stuff. Am that, I right? That's true. So at the leading edge, that's where a lot of the, um, a lot of the profit is found. Yeah. And so, you know, again, those few companies that are able to keep reinvesting, they can capture more of that profit, but the profit, the incentive to kind of build out production at those, uh, we could say legacy tiers of, of semiconductors is not really there. And that's another another problem that we're facing. You know, just because we're pushing uh, the edge further doesn't mean that those older nodes are no longer useful. Right. Things, especially yeah. things that you'll see in cars, so the, the sensors that we talked about in cars, uh, those rely on some older process technologies. Um, and, you know, when the White House and the, the Commerce Department, they surveyed in 2021, they surveyed a few different industries about the way that the semiconductor uh, shortage is affecting them. And in fact, they found that that car companies and these these other kind of folks that they asked, they actually found that the shortages were most pronounced in those older generation nodes. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a question of if the profit incentive isn't there, especially for these commoditized older kind of process nodes, uh, how do we how do we build that production? Kusha, let me bring you in here a little bit. We yeah. we talked before the show and you talked in your presentation to the staff um, more about what is going on with the global supply chain. So we hear a lot about Taiwan and South Korea, but at the same time, we've talked a lot about Intel. We're hearing about American companies 
Qualcomm, AMD, Apple, Amazon making their own chips. How does this all kind of square together? Yeah, so it's a little confusing, but I don't think it's an oversimplification to talk about this kind of as a basic Econ 101 supply chain. So, you know, in other words, I know there are a lot of buzzwords, you know, reshoring, resilience, whatever. Um, I think this kind of boils down to like an Adam Smith, like textbook market situation where we have different regions that are kind of focusing on their respective comparative advantage. And, you know, that leads to these incredibly sophisticated end products. And so to kind of break this down, the process for producing chips has a few central components. The beginning is design, and then there's fabrication, and then you end with packaging and testing. Um, So the U.S. actually leads on the highest value add part, which is design. Um, And so, you know, that's where you hear about firms like Qualcomm and NVIDIA and Apple, uh, these American firms uh, that are leading in design. Um, But, you know, the other part that makes the news is these other regions that lead in fabrication. Uh, So the actual manufacturing of the chips is happening in areas like Taiwan and South Korea. Um, and, you know, there's an obvious kind of geopolitical risk in a lot of these areas. There's, I mean, there's also risks like these, these regions are on like a tectonic fault line. So there's a lot of different things that can go wrong. And, and when you have uh, all of the world's kind of major fabrication operations going on in just a few countries, that kind of leads to a pretty high level of risk. Right, right. Which is what we saw in COVID as Oliver was saying, mm-hmm. some of the shutdowns and other stuff. Um, j- just to clarify, w- when you talk about design, you're talking about the, the research and development, yeah. the innovation on this, and then exactly. the U.S. is still uh, sort of leading the way on Absolutely, that. yeah. Um, we're going to talk. I, I, You guys know me. I'm a congressional guy, so I really want to get into what's happening up <laughs> on the Hill um, around those investments and making yeah. sure our companies can continue to do this R&D. Let's take a a little break here and uh, we'll come back and we'll dive into more of the politics of this debate. You're listening to HPS Insights. We'll be right back with Oliver and Kushal. Hamilton Place Strategies, HPS, is an analytical public affairs consulting firm with offices in Washington, D.C., New York, and California. HPS uses substantive analysis to understand complex topics and create public affairs tools to explain issues to target audiences and reach critical stakeholders. We achieve our clients' goals by enhancing understanding of issues, products, and companies, and ultimately improving outcomes. Learn more at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight. Welcome back to HPS Insights. This is Brian DeAngelis, your host this week, and I'm here with Oliver Edelman and Kushil Modi talking about semiconductors and uh, the supply chain issues we've all been focusing on over the last uh, year or so. So we talked a lot about what's going on with the supply chain, what's what's been happening in the semiconductor industry. Let's talk a little bit about potential fixes to, to this shortage and what the U.S. can do to, to remain competitive. Um, a lot of industries were impacted. I'd love to hear some examples of kind of what has happened to them, and then maybe we'll get into what Congress can do and the federal government can do to help out the industry. I think in terms of of industries that are impacted, I think everyone has seen the kind of impact that chip shortages has had. Um, You know, just talking to people in the office, kind of like Oliver had mentioned, you know, there are stories of cars that had less features than than models of years before. 
things like, you know, we already mentioned like smart toasters and smart fridges, just like right. not getting rolled out because we don't have the chips for them. So it's, you know, you see across different types of technologies and now it seems like every sector is implementing new technology, either, you know, they're not selling a product that they were otherwise going to sell or they're actually kind of have to roll back how advanced those projects are going to be. Um, so definitely top of mind for Congress, obviously, and and a whole host of industries. Yeah, I mean, you see these like the the kind of example that gets tossed around again and again is that like forty thousand dollar SUV that's held back yeah. because of a one dollar chip that hasn't <laughs> right. arrived uh, from Taiwan. So yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting time, I think, for for a lot of businesses out there. So this has become a big issue for Congress. A um, lot of news in the last couple of weeks, which I I do want to dive into, and I don't mean to keep teasing the audience, but why don't you guys? back us up a little bit in terms of what Congress has has been doing, because there's been several pieces of legislation, some that are moving forward, some aren't. So so walk us through what Congress has been doing in the last, I guess, year or so here. Yeah. So when you think about semiconductors and legislation, there's kind of two, I guess, like flagship kind of pieces that people are focused on. One is the FABS Act, uh, which offers tax credits for semiconductor manufacturing and design. Um, so originally, the FABS Act was going to be rolled into BBB. Uh, we know that BBB has had its fair share of difficulties, so it has since been kind of removed from that. Um, and while it's been introduced in the House and Senate, it's kind of just stuck there right now. Just languishing um, in the yeah, House and so, Senate world. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll keep, in, uh, keep on watching. Uh, we'll see if the FABS Act gets anywhere, but as of now, it's kind of stuck. Um the CHIPS Act, uh, which offers uh, like a grant program for manufacturing, um, is the one that has gained a little more uh, traction. And so it offers $52 billion um, in grants and then a whole kind of research program outlined that's uh, kind of directed and, and subsidized by the government. Um, and that's the one uh, is now kind of rolled into USICA as a pretty central piece of, of that legislation um, that people are watching now. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the chip companies are watching this very closely. I think we, we mentioned earlier how yeah. uh, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger had mentioned that, you know, if if this doesn't pass, they might, this whole Ohio $20 billion factory with all those jobs, that might just not happen. So yeah. uh, the companies are watching it closely. They're making investment decisions based on based on this happening. Uh, and so it's just a question of, of kind of what goes along here. And Brian, I think we'd be interested in your thoughts as our kind of resident master of the Senate at ATF <laughs> to see, you know, uh, what Master what of the Senate is a, is a term I cannot accept. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good point because, and I, I did want to get into this, this is that classic and extremely frustrating example of Yusika has got strong bipartisan support. We've and and for folks at home, most of it think know this, but but Yusika is the um, bill that's been pushed by Schumer and others to keep us competitive with China on the R and D front. The Chips Act, as Kushal said, is a is a big part of that. It's passed the House about a year ago. Yeah. It passed the Senate about six months ago. Um, I've been through these situations where you bring the conference committee together on, on Dodd-Frank and others, and those are big, heavy lifts, but this one seems to be just a ginormous headache where a lot of members involved, 
They've been able to settle some issues, not settle some others. And now it's getting messy with politics of in the last few days, really, we've seen both McConnell come out and say, if you're going to try any kind of build back better, I'm going to drop Republican support for you, Sika, which is a big deal because there's a lot of folks on the Republican side pushing for this. And now you've got Schumer and some House members doing what they said they wouldn't do, which is just (laughs) attempting or at least trying to convince their colleagues, let's just take up the Senate version of USICA, pass it in the House, which case, uh, this is Congress 101, probably for most of our listeners, but you skip the conference committee, you go right to Biden's desk. So a lot's going to happen on this in the next, I think, week or so, but it is one of those important pieces of, of legislation that you would expect to just sail through. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, taking a little bit of a step back, I, I am impressed with the fact that, you know, for all the conversations around reshoring and, you know, what the future of globalization looks like, Congress is pretty keenly aware of the problem that we're facing and is kind Mm -hmm. of taking, understanding the fact that, you know, industrial policy is a large part of the reason why some of these East Asian countries have been so successful in, in terms of, you know, expanding their semiconductor manufacturing capacity and that, you know, they've taken the stance that, hey, maybe the U.S. needs a little bit, uh, a little bit less of that pure free market and a little bit more of that industrial policy. And that's a stance that they're taking. So, you know, obviously the CHIPS Act hasn't passed, but it seems like it it has a pretty good shot. And uh, it's interesting that that's bipartisan consensus that we're we're going to have some some government help there. Yeah. And I think you've got you've got a lot of business behind it, as, as you've kind of hinted to there, Oliver, you know, Chips can be pulled out of Yusika and just passed. Yep. So mm-hmm. there's there's still plenty of opportunities. I'm I'm way more skeptical about this uh, zombie build back better that that yeah. keeps coming back. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. But um, I, I'm a lot more optimistic something happens. If not on Yusika, definitely on chips. Um, let's talk a little bit about like what might happen if if this doesn't happen. I mean we've we've seen. Um, China continue to do more. I wanted to get a little bit in the U.S. sanctions on China and what that means for the semiconductor market. What do you guys see on kind of the global stage there? I mean, it seems like, so sanctions, I guess, on semiconductors isn't really a new thing. Um, The U.S. has been imposing pretty robust semiconductor sanctions against Chinese companies like Huawei, SMIC, uh, since like 2020, and they've been pretty effective. Um, so Huawei's revenue last year was down 38% annually uh, in the middle of last year. Um, and so you're seeing those kinds of programs be pretty effective, and, and I think that they will continue to be used. Um, but another thing there is that China's also responding by, it has gotten a lot better at sourcing chips domestically. Right. Um, and so I think we kind of need a tactic shift, and that's part of what's going on in Washington right now. As as I know, Biden is kind of reevaluating some of those consumer focused sanctions. Um, these chip sanctions are very much top of mind uh, right now. It's kind of transitioned to a bit more of a licensing program. Um, but one of the things that came out, actually, like in the last couple days, is that the U.S. asked the Dutch government to block. Uh, Chinese companies from accessing uh, what is called ultraviolet lithography machines, um, which, not to get too technical, but there's like one Dutch company called ASML that makes these machines, and you need 
these machines to make like the most advanced semiconductor chips. And so, you know, obviously we need a little more buy-in from, from allies around the world and, and a little bit to build out a kind of more coordinated sanctions program. But there are, I think definitely a bunch of levers to pull, um, if you know this ends up taking a little more time than than we want it to, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, China does have uh, capacity, increasing capacity. It's kind of a priority for them to build out their their semiconductor industry. Um, but as much as we kind of are worried about the U.S. falling behind and, and Intel being a generation behind some of these East Asian manufacturers, which by the way do have facilities in the U.S. as mm-hmm. well. Um, China is even further behind. So SMIC is like two or three generations, I believe, behind the leading edge. Yeah. And uh, they're not going to get there with sanctions on ASML. ASML, by the way, is a Dutch company. Uh, and yet the U.S. is still preventing them from selling <laughs> anything to, to China. So you can see just kind of how important this has been to to uh, to the U.S. Uh, on a bipartisan basis. The Trump administration right. started a lot of these sanctions. The Biden administration is just expanding them into even older kind of versions of these of these ASML machines. And so China is, you know, really struggling. It, again, I think it just emphasizes uh, just how how many bottlenecks there are in the supply chain. And if one of those is missing, it's, it's just really hard to compete. It can so, wreak havoc. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of going full circle, but, but back to Yusika and why we need this investment, we need this R&D, and, and the U.S. is pushing for it. But um, uh, you guys both raised a couple good points that I guess I should know we are recording this on um, July 8th because things seem to be changing daily. Um, yeah. Both uh, Biden huddled with a lot of his advisors this week on China sanctions. We're, yeah, we're waking up each morning to more news from McConnell <laughs> and Schumer on, on Yusika. So by the time we actually publish this, a, a lot could change. But um this has been incredibly helpful, guys. Uh, it's a great conversation. I want to thank both of you for coming on and uh, first time podcast appearances, hopefully not last time hopefully. appearance, um, but uh, really appreciate the time today. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Brian. Um, and for our listeners at home, thank you again for, for tuning in. You can um, find out more about Hamilton Place Strategies work and our podcasts on our website, hamiltonplacestrategies.com or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, and we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights, and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.